today on Building the Open Metaverse. Essentially, a team of two can now produce an experience once a week, essentially, which means uh, we can get a lot more, long story short, we can get a lot more VR content into headsets and into virtual production at a fraction of the time, at a fraction of the cost, and of considerable better quality than what currently stands out there. Welcome to Building the Open Metaverse, where technology experts discuss how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hosted by Patrick Cozy from Cesium and Mark Petit from Epic Games. All right, hello everybody, and welcome to the show Building the Open Metaverse, the podcast where technologies share their insight on how the community is building the metaverse together. Hello, I'm Mark Petit from Epic Games. My co-host is Patrick Cozy from Cesium. He's not here with us today. Uh, but I'll try to uh, to ask the technical questions on his behalf. And today we are talking about uh, an important topic for the metaverse, which is virtual reality, uh, technology that's been closely associated with the metaverse, for good or for bad. We're going to talk about this maybe. So we invited two experts in the domain to share their perspectives. So first up is Joanna Popper, Global Head of Virtual Reality at HP. Welcome to the show, Joanna. Great to be here, Mark. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, we're so happy to have you with us. And we also have with us today from the far, far side of the world, uh, Simon Shedebor, founder and chief visual officer of Reality Virtual in New Zealand. Simon is both a creative and a technologist. He's created the most beautiful content I've ever seen in VR, I have to admit. When I discovered the Olmsted back in 2018, it's been a shock for me. I was not expecting photorealistic VR. And so we're super happy to have you with us, Simon. Thank you for having me. All right, start with Joanna. So you've been very involved in the XR community uh, for a long time, actually. So please tell us in your own words uh, who you are and what's your, what has been your journey to the metaverse. Hi, everyone. My name is Joanna Popper. I am the global head of VR go-to-market at HP. I've been at HP a little over four years now, and it's been it's been a great, great journey. Prior to HP, uh, my, my background is um, in both media and tech. I was at NBC Universal, leading marketing for one of the brands there for quite a long time, and then I was up in Silicon Valley, leading media and marketing at Singularity University, which is an organization that trains leaders on the future of technologies such as AR, VR, blockchain, AI, robotics, and others. Um, and um, so, you know, at HP, we've 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 launched at this point four different headsets, three different backpacks, and a couple of different um, really interesting software packages. And then, in addition to that, I've also been the executive producer on some really exciting award-winning XR projects, such as Brianna's Garden, Finding Pandora X, and then have some other ones coming up as well. So, I love the XR community. It's you know, a community of a group of people who are. Dreamers, idealists, um, you know, working towards making, creating a, an exciting and, and better future, uh, a combination of people with strong, strong technical abilities, as well as strong creative sensibilities and, and business ideas. And it's just a, a pleasure to be part of this community. So a dreamer and an idealist, I'm, Simon, what do you think about that? So please uh, tell us about your background and your journey to the metaverse. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um... Wow. Yeah, no, very, very interesting past in regards to how we got into it prior to any of us, maybe about eight years ago, I was actually pretty much just a drummer and a singer in a band. Um, so it was, it was kind of like uh, when life gives you lemons, you, you make lemonade. And essentially way back in 2014, I just started tinkering with photogrammetry and I think uh, got myself, my hands on the first uh, Oculus 
Oculus headset, uh, Kickstarter days, and start tinkering with that. And from that point onwards, just started breaking things essentially and working out how to you know go for this idea of ultra photorealism. So the whole initial purpose was really just to kind of uh, create a slice of life, a moment in time. And from there, because I had not been classically trained, kind of delved into areas that were kind of considered unorthodox uh, and pushing the limits without really ever realizing it was such a thing. Uh, from that point onwards, uh, finally got to the island here in New Zealand, started traveling the world and did a number of locations like uh, Nefertari, Queen Nefertari and Tutankhamun. Um, and uh, yeah, such works as the homestead and uh, yes, yeah, but that's about it. So we've kind of been more focused recently on software as a service and processes and really heightening in that domain and trying to create tools and power tools for people to actually be able to use, uh, you know, for, for mass content creation. Yeah. So Joanna, HP has released uh, the Reverb G2, which is a fantastic headset, by the way. I, I, use, I use one for sim racing and virtual racing, and it's, it's actually unbelievably comfortable and, you know, I can I can race for hours on, uh, and so it's 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 a great progress. So are you seeing you know is this this like progress of the hardware uh, translating into adoption? And are we seeing are you selling a lot of those headsets? Are we seeing you know how is the the current state of the market and demand for VR? Current state of the market is growing a lot, um, and so great to hear that you're enjoying your HP Reverb G2. For, for racing, that's, you know, both uh, flight sim as well as racing sim are, are, are big markets for us. Um, so the, the HP Reverb G2, for those who don't know, it is a, is a high quality headset made in collaboration with HP, Valve, and Microsoft. It has very high resolution, 2160 by 2160 per eye, as well as fantastic audio, and it's very comfortable on your head. And it's all that an accessible price. Um, and so we're seeing strong pickup among gamers, you know, as, as Mark, you just mentioned, as well as different types of location-based entertainment venues like Raw Thrills or Dreamscape, Zero Latency. And then we're also seeing people use that headset for enterprise use cases like learning and development and training and education. Um, and then we have another headset called the HP Reverb G2 Omnistepped Edition, which actually won the VR Awards Headset of the Year at the end of, of last year. Um, and that headset builds on the same base and then adds to it uh, face camera, eye tracking, pupilometry, and heart rate sensor. And we're seeing that used for research and for educational purposes. But overall, you know, you'll see the, the market is growing, growing significantly with, with you know, very strong CAGR year over year. And that's more in the enterprise or uh, hobby space than the general consumer space, or where would you where would you see the growth? It's growing in both, both sides. Both sides is growing. Um, and so, what's next? I mean, you know, we we you know we've seen the, the current state of the hardware. Is there any breakthrough around the corner? I mean, if you look at your crystal ball, you know, what is the next thing that's gonna you know take the adoption to the next level? Well, Mark, you know very well we don't do like we don't do roadmaps, right? I mean, nothing, nothing that we haven't announced. So, so anything I say is just sort of in general. Um, we did just, just announce a a new software product, which is designed to make it easier for 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 um, large organizations and enterprises to scale. We've seen that was a big pain point. Um, and you know they were even send, sending like jump drives around to to to, uh, to scale, as particular, and they're all in one headsets. And so we recently announced the Extend XR 
software package that is that's targeted to our enterprises that want want to scale, and um, that is actually we're, and we're partnering where we can you can use that across Pico all-in-one headsets as well as HTC Vive, Focus Three all-in-one headsets. Um, so that's something that we're seeing. You know, as as these projects move from proof of concepts into wanting to actually scale for organizations, they need different software and different usability. And so you know, we're jumping in with that product today. Um, we've all, you know, we've also seen, we've also seen, you know, the interest in bioanalytics and, you know, that I mentioned earlier with Omnicept, we see there's going to be a lot more growth in that side. And then we continue to, you know, to look at what's happening on the AR side as well, you know, with, with pass-through video. And I think there's probably some exciting things to come on that side as well. Yeah. In terms of resolution, I mean, I, I think we're there. I mean, you know, with the current resolution, I mean, we, we, we can always use more and more is more, but I think it's... I was surprised by the level of comfort and, uh, you know, it, it's good. So, Simon, you have a chance here as a VR pioneer. You've been doing it since 2014. So what do you need from the hardware guys? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, so one, I, I really did myself a disservice by positioning myself in VR. <laughs> Not, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, we, we are a VFX R&D real-time company that just happens to be bloody good at VR. So um, VR always ended up being really the best way to showcase what we're doing in regards to presence and you know experience and all that kind of jazz. Um, I mean, the, the headsets are getting the hardware is always going to be catching up. We we're always really focusing on content that would actually uh, be the test of time. You know, the, the work that we're doing way back in 2016, 2017, arguably still stands now. It was the headsets that we we're waiting to catch up on. So now with uh, phobiatic rendering, uh, which is a massive you know, it, it gives us that much more GPU to play with. Uh, so that's really useful. Um, I've been playing, sorry, I don't hope this is a, not a conflict of interest, but um, been playing with the Pimax, uh, the Pimax uh, 6K or something right now. So that's been a bit of fun, 200 degree field of view. Field of view, in my opinion, super important. Um, obviously eye tracking is super important, especially with phobiatic. Uh, resolutions pretty much there. Uh, you know, once you get above 4K per, per eye, you're doing pretty good. Um, form factor is important. Um, I obviously personally don't really care if it's um, independent or not, uh, as long as the grunt is there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's trickling down. I mean, some of the stuff that we're seeing with mini LED displays, for example, is that's really exciting me because HDR is so important. I can't stress that enough. I want to be able to wear, I want to be, be wearing that headset and squinting, you know? Um, so I'd say HDR is as important in many ways as like having above 90 frames per second refresh rate or above, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, the hardware's going to get there eventually. It's, um, the most important thing right now, arguably, is how do we get good content into that hardware? Yeah, well, let's talk about content creation, Simon, with you. And so you are an expert in photogrammetry, I started very early, and you have, you have invented new ways of simplifying the photogrammetry process with your DPBR technology. Can, can you explain, you know, a few words, what's the problems you're trying to solve with DPBR? Yeah. Um, so DPBR in conjunction with the new retopology methods we're using. Um, so when we did a project like Nefertari or Tutankhamun or the Homestead, uh, we, even back in 2018, were considered as doing it relatively fast compared to the rest of industry. The rest of industry, you know, you'd have like three to six months, um, you know, big team, big budget. We, we did Nefertari in six weeks with two guys. Uh, and I won't even mention the budget because I would do, I'll be doing myself a disservice. Um, 
Um, but let's just say we hacked it in this very house right here that I'm sitting in. So um, <clears throat> the, the problem is photogrammetry, to get from photogrammetry, the point cloud, to the actual product, let's say in Unreal Engine, uh, it's the, the biggest process is actually to read topology in between, actually getting that point cloud and making it manageable, making it efficient, make it be able to run, at, you know, because VR is extremely demanding in regards to optimization, uh, as is virtual studio production. So the biggest issue is, you know, we, can, we, we, we could spend a week on a project, but the other five weeks of that six-week period is spent on one guy pushing pixels, you know, having to optimize that point cloud and get it running in real time. So deep PBR is really useful for you know generating normal maps or details where details are missing. It's 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 generally purpose for both both photogrammetry but also for texture creation in itself. But what we've realised uh, is quite frankly the retopology is the bigger issue, uh, and that's the issue that everyone understands. We 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 kind of missed the mark a little bit with deep PBR in regards to what it offers the public. But we realised plugging that in to the retopology process is what is really. Um, going to do our saving grace. And so where you'd spend six weeks on a project doing something, dealing with that massive amounts of point cloud, the retopology component, we're currently achieving about 12 to 14 hours of extensive GPU, CPU compute to do that pretty much overnight um, and do it much better than the current process because um, I hope this is not too geeky and I just please do interrupt me if I start ranting too much. <clears throat> but essentially... I was just going to say, maybe you want to define some of the terms. I don't know who the, who's in the audience, if they know all the terms that you're saying, but you... you... Yeah, uh, sorry, that always happens for me. Um, okay, so when we're doing photogrammetry, we're left with immense amounts of point cloud data, and essentially the machines can't optimize that data in one hit, uh, and you definitely cannot run it easily in real time. I mean, Nanite's gone a long way in regards to dealing with large point clouds or large amounts of data, but we're talking about billions and billions of point clouds here. So from something like Nefertari, we gathered approximately 24 billion points of data. And, you know, it's just impossible to actually get, well, it's very difficult to get that down. So the way people currently do it, and this is geeky, um, is we have to do a process called decimating to get it down to something like 60 or 80 million, which we can then manage in products like ZBrush or uh, Mesh Mixer or these other kind of products that a lot of artists use. The problem is, is you're going from that, let's just say 4 billion down to that 60 million, just so you can actually manage and work with it. And as a result, we're actually losing a lot of the detail we really strive to get in the first place. And so forget about DPBR for a second, but the whole thing is how do you get that massive amount of point cloud data and get a manageable version of it as close to the original as possible, essentially deriving where the points of detail are important. And that's what we've really been pushing. Um, it's the cleanup process. It's the retopology, meaning the you know resculpting process. It's the noise removal processes. With photogrammetry data, there's also a lot of inconsistency. So when you scan a scene, how you take the photos, some areas are going to be more detailed than others, um, just because of the nature of how you take the photos. Even if the camera is slightly leaning, you know it will create a kind of a gradient of density. Now, these are things that you just want to fix because when you're actually in the VR experience of this, you don't want to be seeing different varying levels of textual density or quality. And so what we've done is essentially we've got this process that tackles it at its raw element and will actually retain all the detail evenly and contextually consistently, both in texture and in retopology, meaning the point clouds. 
And so this is extreme. One, it makes environments that much easier. You know, we're not spending weeks and weeks and weeks, pro, you know, waiting for our retopology artists to, you know, you know, get his shiz together, right? Um, and as a result, there's so many benefits of this. One, it's the reduced cost. You know, essentially, a team of two can now produce an experience once a week, essentially, which means uh, we can get a lot more. Long story short, we can get a lot more VR content into headsets and into virtual production at a fraction of the time, at a fraction of the cost, and of considerable better quality than what currently stands out there. That is amazing and much needed because we're seeing in virtual production, you know, the the spun thing creating the content to put on the wall or to do VR scouting, you know. You wonder why, you know, sc you know, sh scanning the locations you just should have to continue or do pickups of the movie in virtual production, you know. We're still a far cry from being able to achieve that because those techniques are not mature. So so do you think we're, we're, we're getting there? Um, well, I can say the retopology component is solved. I can say that hands down. And I can say the deep PBR stuff we pretty much did a year ago. Um, we just need to rehash that into our current process. So we, the problem with DPR is we spend most of our time trying to deal with AWS front-end and user experience stuff and the actual core technology itself had been running for the last few years. Um, there are some components that are kind of difficult. Uh, with D-Lighting, we really do need to embed that directly into the PG or photogrammetry software itself to some extent because otherwise you're doing a very inefficient process of having to use the raw photographs to process them and that's just time consuming and it makes no sense. But, you know, we'll essentially make a, you know, it'll, it'll be a tap. So we'll, we'll provide a, you know, essentially an API for third-party applications to use for that component. Um, but the retopology, which is, in my opinion, has been, it was, it was funny. It wasn't even something we were really, I mean, we, we'd, we'd been aware of the problem for years, but it was actually just something we pretty much tackled over the summer. Me and, me and one of my guys here in New Zealand, who's he's not, you know, he's he's um, he's intermediate level, um, intermediate level Python, but with Python and Blender and a bit of uh, you know, a bit of masking tape and cable ties, we're able to hack something together that's actually working really, really well. And this is over the summer of you know, um, just going to a few dance parties and raves. So it's been quite a, it's been a good New Zealand summer. It's been productive and fun. <laughs> Well, I encourage, you know, if you have a VR headset, you know, the, the Hampstead is still on, on Steam, Steam VR. It's free, uh, I think, if you want to experience photorealistic VR from many moons ago, uh, uh, high quality. And, you know, the, the perspective of that being available to everybody is actually uh, very, very compelling. So, uh, Joanna, let's talk about another project, you know, that uh, I know you care passionately about. It's Brianna's, Brianna's Garden. So what, what can you tell us about this? Sure. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. So I had the opportunity to be an executive producer on Brianna's Garden, which is a project created by Lady Phoenix and Sutu in collaboration with Brianna Taylor's family. And so, um, you know, for those of you who don't know, Lady Phoenix is a, a renowned NFT curator and an art curator, as well as an XR creator. And Sutu is also very well known VR and AR and, and also now NFT creator. Um, and so basically, you know, Lady Phoenix saw what was happening with Brianna's with Brianna Taylor um, in it, you know, and wanted to do something to help specifically the family and even more specifically her sister. Um, you know, her sister had lived with Brianna. And so when, when Brianna was taken from her, 
um, was 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 killed by the police. She lost you know, her heart as well as as her home. Um, and so Lady Phoenix reached out and developed a relationship with the family over the course of many months, um, which resulted in this project that we premiered at Tribeca last year, an augmented reality project called. Brianna's Garden, um, and it was done in collaboration with MetaStage and Microsoft. You know, we did the volumetric capture with them, um, and it was you know just a, a really meaningful and, and beautiful project to to continue the family's goal of you know having people continue to say Brianna Taylor's name and and you know in their in their their uh, search for justice. Um, we then took that to Art Basel and premiered it there. So, you know, we had the opportunity basically to have, have Brianna's Garden seen at the, the, the height of the film festival world at Tribeca and then the height of the, the art and, and even crypto world with the way the Art Basel was this year. Um, and then we, we continued working on it and, and created an, a VR version, which we just premiered at South by Southwest. Um, and it actually... Um, has photogrammetry. Um, we, we took the opportunity to, together with, with Greg Downing, went, went to uh, Louisville and did photogrammetry of the, the family's house where they have what's called, a, they call it the Brianna Room. Um, and, and there were, and we had volumetric captures of Brianna's mother, Miss Tamika Palmer, her sister, Janiya Palmer, and her, her partner, who, who she was going to marry, Kenny Walker. Um, and so you have three different rooms. It's all built inside alt space. Um, and so we really, you know, worked very, very closely with, with Microsoft, with, um, with BRC was actually the one that, cre that created the worlds to be able to, you know, for the first time, put that, that type of photogrammetry and volumetric capture inside alt space. Um, and what's, well, you know, the, the, we, this project has won a ton of awards. It's gotten a lot of media. Um, for me, what's most moving and impactful is after Janiya Palmer, Brianna's sister, saw the project, she said that it made her feel like she was with, you know, when she goes into the garden, Brianna's garden, she feels like she's with her sister again. And for me, that is the power and the responsibility of all the work we do in the metaverse. You know, it's the, the, the power and the ability of the technology and the storytelling to reconnect two sisters, one of whom who's no longer here with us. And for me, that's, you know, that's why, why I do this work, that, that you know, such, such you know, a project that gives such huge impact to a family and can have, you know, impact and, and have that ripple effect on many others around the world. It's interesting. It's also uh, reminds us of the uh, Carnet I Arena from uh, Inaritu, where, uh, you know, there was a very, very nice, you know, innovation in storytelling as well as a politically loaded topic and got, uh, and got an Oscar, you know, the once in a generation Oscar that's given to a new uh, a new piece of technology. So, so yeah, very powerful medium. So, from a content perspective, Simon, how far are we from creating a, a metaverse that's indistinguishable from the reality that we can navigate in VR? I mean, do you think do you see us having critical mass of technologies now? Um, yeah, I I, I I I I struggle to say that word. <laughs> Um, just a tad. Um, you know, we, we were talking about slices of life, you know, moments in time that many years ago. Um, I guess with, you know, digital twins and that kind of stuff, I, I mean, we're, 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 we're pretty close. I mean, if not there already in some respects. Um, 
it's more just able to be able to provide those tools to a you know a much larger audience. Uh, and so you know we'd been toying around with RGBD volumetric stuff some years ago. You know, essentially just hacking a bunch of connects together and doing a bunch of signal processing to uh, allow parties to actually do that kind of work. Uh, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Christina Heller's work in Metastage, it's absolutely fantastic, but it's a little unobtainable to the vast majority of um, content creators. Uh, and so I'm very much interested, probably because of my background, uh, you know, being a, a musician in a band and not getting my APRA checks, essentially, uh, for, for radio play. I've always had this kind of like in the trenches kind of mentality where I just want to make it as accessible to as many indie studios and independents uh is, is, is quite frankly possible. And so I don't think we'll have this true idea of a, a true digital twin slash metaverse until, you know, all and every content creator has the ability to essentially be able to deliver this to everyone else on, on a relatively equal playing field. Um, and so, you know, what we refer to as artist rights management via digital ledger, I think they call it NFTs now. I think we we're talking about it some years back. Um, but, you know, better late than never. The rest of the world's catching up, which is good to see. And it's, you know, it's good time to, you know, have been uh, speaking of this uh, subject matter for quite some time. Um, you know, when we were in Egypt, I was speaking a lot about um, Aleppo and all that back in 2017, 2018. I was quite vocal about that and how important it is to... You know, as hard as this is to, to say, how important it is to show the cost of war. And so the last few months personally has been extremely difficult because we have a lot of people on the ground and a lot of people who are actually literally in some very difficult positions right now. Uh, I've had a few very rough nights as a result. Uh, some of our best guys, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 we got to, you know, make this accessible and we got to make it fast. And we, we can't be doing these, like, one-year turnarounds it has to become like a medium as, as, as similar as independent presses, you know? And so that's really, really where we want to go with this. Um, and, it, it, you know, it can be warts and all right now. It doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to happen and happen fast. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's where I feel it kind of needs to be. Um, just as a side note, you know, we had been uh, working with some big parties, um, uh <laughs> just gonna, just, oh, I might, no, just, I'll, I'll pass on that one. You can edit that, that one out. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about those guys. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a good ending. So, um, yeah, let's just say um, I've definitely got, there's some people I prefer over others. <laughs> You're a big tease here on Mark's podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm being careful. I'm being very careful. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm gonna get, I'm finally get to leave the country. You know, I, I gotta be, you know, just, don't wanna get sued. <laughs> you know, I, I, but I, I hear you about, you know, the democratization and the empowerment of the creators. And as you know, that's something that independently of the podcast, I have a job and I feel that my day job is to do exactly what you're talking about, which is you know, uh, democratizing content, you know, through libraries and, and technologies. And I think it's very important. And I think, you know, one thing we do in this podcast is try to celebrate the fact that in our industry, we're a very open community. We like open standards. And I think this openness is a vector of, uh, you know, it really helps the, the, um, the commoditization and the democratization. And I think, you know, we have to Kind of congratulate the VR guys for coming together and create OpenXR, which you know creates 
an API that allows you know the the headset manufacturer to compete without creating you know those wall gardens. So, uh, Joanna, where where next can we take the standardization of that of the XR industry? Yeah, I mean, as far as HP is concerned, you know, we are very much about the the open ecosystem. We're very much about um, you know, democratization, as you say. Um, you know, that's you know, closing the digital divide is something that's incredibly important to us as a company overall. We have a lot of initiatives around education and around uh, you know around other areas. Um, in terms of you know where we go with it, I think I think that we we you know we've seen that there's a lot of already. There's a lot of closed ecosystems out there, and we expect more to come. But as far as you know, our point of view on that, we believe in the open ecosystem. We believe in partnering, um, and you know, creating creating environments that are that are stronger together, um, and that that benefit that you know that benefit all of us, not just, you know, specific companies. And so that's, that's, you know, that's, that's sort of our, our, the way that we think about it from from the point of view of values and how we want to run our business. And, 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 you know, and our business model kind of goes with that as well, you know, that we're, our, we sell you a product and that, and that's the product, right? There, you know, that, that's, that's the exchange, that's the product. Um, And, you know, that, that's our business model. Yeah, no, no strings attached. I mean, headsets, you know, really the headsets are just like, you know, different different kinds of TVs, I guess, and they really shouldn't, you know, I, I you know, really respect that uh, as a developer not having to be tied into uh, and doing this crazy little dance. It can be exhausting, and OpenXR has honestly been the best thing since sliced bread as a developer in, in regards to just actually being able to get content working on multiple platforms as fast as possible. So it's absolutely the best move. So, Simon, with the, you know, and you touched base a little bit on it. Uh, one of the promises of the metaverse is the point of a, you know, a, a very, very strong creator's economy around digital goods. And you've been, you know, you've been a, a pioneer there as well. So, you know, I mean, we talked about the democratization of tools, but what else do we need to actually empower people like you to make a living out of their the beautiful content and really scale that so that Mr. Zuckerberg himself, you know, called that digital goods as a potential trillion dollar economy. So how do we, you know, as an industry, how do we rally to make this happen in an open and fair way? Well, I mean, I can, I can talk from the being on the ground in, the, in regards to the photogrammetry component is probably my best avenue into this conversation. Uh, you know, as as we've been saying for years, you know, with artist rights management, essentially the idea is artist rights management for digital ledger. You need people on the ground to essentially uh, ascertain the data, the, the photographs themselves. It's very difficult um, to, in many cases, get to these locations, right? So if the individual who's running around with his phone or DSL camera has a motive, uh, not a motive, but, has, has, you know, there's a value-add proposition to it, essentially you know, every photograph you take, if that location that is processed at that point is used for, let's say, a virtual studio production or educational facility or, you know, anything, museology, for example, uh, the individual artist, in this case a photographer, is, is, is essentially given royalty very similar to when you get radio play with APRA. So, and, you know, this is where the artist rights management through digital, digital ledger comes in. Essentially, it is kind of NFT-ish. Um, but basically what this means for us is, well, for pretty much everyone, is that 
you've got people all around the world essentially crowdsourcing the starter um, because there's, you know, there's some level of gain that they can personally get from this. They could get some passive income essentially. Um, and, but on top of that, the studios uh, and, you know, people who are distributing the content also get a value add because we get really good content. So imagine if you're a studio, you need that alleyway in Taipei, for example. You know, instead of flying 20 people down there to actually get it, you know, you could just have a bunch of people on the ground essentially ascertaining that data and having that ready, ready for the studio. So when the studio even goes off and uses that environment, you know, the individual, you know, get some friggin' pocket money. <laughs> so um, it's, it's the way to go. Um, the biggest ha- issue has been at this current point is the processing and the retopology. If you simplify that, you essentially, you dissolve much of the middleman process, you know, and it becomes far more ascertainable to everyone. So the individuals can essentially, and so we were doing this with DPPR to some degree of textures, but we always plan for that texture concept of the marketplace to literally just go from texture to object to environment. And we still very much plan to do that. Uh, where RV comes in or where we come in, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll, you know, get a percentage or two too, but we're not really, it's not, you know, I, I have this thing, you know, once you hit above 75K, there's been shown time and time again that anything above that happiness is pretty much guaranteed, you know. Um, for me, it's not about that. I just want to get back out and actually see the world again, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to call out that, you know, I, I like that you say distributed ledger because we need, I think, you know, we need the technology to support that secondary, uh, you know, participation of artists to their content, you know, the, the derivative work. The value created from derivative work is paid properly, but it, for me personally, it doesn't, doesn't translate to use some technology that you can't regulate or, you know, that are designed to be, you know, unregulated and uncontrolled. And, you know, to a level of, distrib- you know, to a level of decentralization that makes it relatively, to my, from my perspective, impractical in real life. So, so I do agree with you that we need those things, but it does not equate to using the blockchains, for example, I think. We have yet to find methods of implementing those those features, those, those smart contracts, those you know that that are compatible with the way we want to run a modern society. But that's that's an opinion. I'm not supposed to give opinions, but I just want to call this out because I had this conversation many many times. I mean, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll just weigh in quickly on that. So you know, when we were talking about artist rights management, there is one thing, especially in the cultural sector, that you have to consider very. Very greatly, and obviously working extensively here in New Zealand, Aotearoa, with Indigenous Māori and Iwi, uh, it's a bit of a crass saying, but you don't want to strip a pole in a mid-eye, you know. And so there is a real situation where ascertaining the data of these photographs, the individual artist or photographer that's taking them, in our view, does have the right to say what use cases it has. A bit like creative, different versions of Creative Commons. And so we do want to protect that because we have seen massive, and I'm not going to name names because everyone knows I could, um, we've seen pretty horrendous exploitation of indigenous cultures. Um, we were friggin' furious over here recently because of certain, certain entities. Um, and we just have to make sure that that's not, that's not the case. You know, there needs to be a level of protection we, we, we want to open it, but, you know, within reason, you know, you don't want, you don't want to be, you know, offending anyone or using something for a wrong use case scenario. So that is also rather important. So, John, I don't want, you, don't want to put you on the spot, but as you've been, you know, in the XR community for, for so long, how do you, 
how do you look at you know the the, the amount of noise around NFTs and all of those uh, you know those those I don't know how to call them those technologies and those uh, you know those trends. You are putting me on the spot, and you just gave your opinion, which you said you're you said you're not supposed to. But uh, I so we have some listen listen parts of the podcast here. Um, well, it's just between friends. Nobody's listening. Don't worry about it. Just between friends here. Um, this is what I, I, have a, I have a bunch of things to say about this topic. So number one, I think it's it's a very I would say it's it's quite controversial and uh, particularly among gamers and VR, uh, you know the, v, the you know the uh, deep VR community. Um, they seem to very be very very displeased to use one word about about what's happening in the crypto world right um i find it very interesting you know sort of the reaction from the gaming slash v or, or, or lots of gaming of course there's plenty of gaming people that have jumped in full full force with you know play to earn and, and crypto gaming but there's there's like pretty strong some some anti-blockchain anti-crypto sentiment or specifically anti-crypto, maybe not anti-blockchain overall, um, and anti-NFT sentiment there. On the other hand, I've seen, you know, you see very, some very positive sentiment among artists, you know, artists who, particularly who, you know, are able to monetize their work and find find value for their work in ways that they may that that they may have been struggling to do in the past or have not been able to do in the past um which i think is is you know cer- certainly i'm supportive of and and positive about um and so i think i think that sort of juxtaposition is ve- is quite interesting there's like those two very different points of view on on the technology and the use of the technology you know i've read some articles that say it's 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 because gamers are already already have, like feel sort of nickel and dimed with so much in-app purchases and that's that's potentially why that, some of them feel that way um so it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting thing for me i would i would what i will say though is you know i i and i also i also find it interesting that you know um the, the different communities kind of have look at what the metaverse is and what web3 is from a, such a different point of view right like a different or a different starting point um and that in my mind you know the the it it will be the this and, and whether and I, and I and you know and and we could certainly slice it very thinly and say you know this is you know this is the difference between the metaverse and this is the difference with web three they're not the same thing even though they're often used in an interchangeable way um, but that we that we I think all of us here know that we are absolutely going towards a. 3D future. I think we all agree with that, right? And that the way we will enter, our computing will be 3D. You know, whether it's it's in a headset or not in a headset, but that that's that's the direction, right? And so for me, there's sort of four foundational technology building blocks. One is spatial computing, which is not, as I just said, limited to only AR and VR, and that's how we'll interface. Two is gaming engine, such as you know the great company you work for, Mark, and and that will be how the content will be built, right? And three are the virtual worlds where we will gather and come together, and you know some of them today are like Fortnite, you know, um, and, you know, and then some of them are in VR and some of them are, are, you know, have a blockchain uh, part to it, but that, that, you know, there will be, so we'll continue to gather in these virtual worlds and, you know, into the future. Right. And then the, but that, the, the, that blockchain will be the commerce engine that drives 
that that does drive a lot of what happens in the future. I do I do believe that that will occur, and that you know the, the environmental aspects will have gotten worked out. You know, many of them, the, some of that is is already starting, but they'll have gotten worked out. Um, I don't know where all the regulation and everything will will end up. We'll we'll see. Um, but I do believe that those are like the four foundational building blocks in terms of technology. Um, as we as we move into the, the this next wave of computing, so that's that's what I'll say. And yes, I do have some NFTs. If that's your follow up question, <laughs> particularly I particularly support female BIPOC creators, and then you know I have a couple some a couple of my friends as well. But for me, it's like you know a way that I get to continue to support artists, which is something I great I greatly believe in. Um, so you know, I'm happy I'm happy to to support artists in many different ways, right? I feel like I have to clarify just a little. I've got a lot of friends who are in, in, in crypto and blockchain, and I do enjoy sleeping on their couches when I go to LA. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not anti. The, the technology in itself is fantastic, uh, just to be clear. Um, I, I do believe in digital ledgers and blockchain and, and the rest of it and, you know, these contracts and whatnot. Um, it's just... This, some of the speculation just bothers me a little. That's kind of where it really comes down to. I, I want, you know, art for art's sake, value for value's sake. You know, when you're printing 20,000 monkeys, um, it just, you know, it, it does grind the gears a little, but, you know, maybe I'm just a bit old-fashioned. Uh, you know, I mostly focus on, you know, the real world in some respects and, and, and these cultural sites and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I do... Con- you know, as someone who loves art for art's sake, it, it, I don't, just not a big fan of Hype Train. Um, and by no means is all of it Hype Train. There's a lot of good artists making good money from this, and that is, that is super important. So just to, just to clarify, I am not anti. You know, there's interesting projects that have utility too, like projects that are that are providing something of value or you know, that, are, that, are, that are interesting. Well, exactly. Exactly. There's been many use cases for it. I do think that's the direction we're. I do think this is the direction we're heading. So, um, I think that it'll be interesting to see how you know as these worlds continue to, to come together. And yeah, no, absolutely. From the sort of different points of view today. Really, really enjoyed artists being able to you know leave from their art, and I think that's been the the positive side of some of that NFT uh, craziness. Um, all right. Well, look, it's. Uh, it's it's a fascinating it's a set of fascinating topic. Thanks. I, I usually don't talk about crypto on the podcast, but today I felt I felt safe to do this with you guys. So uh, we it's a topic we've we've kind of uh, stayed away from. Uh, so usually we, we conclude you know by asking uh, our two uh, you know the same two questions. And the, the first question that we ask you know is when you th- now that we've gone through this conversation, is there any topic uh, that we should have talked about? And that gives us idea for other conversations. So maybe Simon, you start first with this one. You know, any, anything we should have talked about and we did not talk about. Uh, I got to be honest. I'm so deep in the trenches right now on on Devin. My brain is just fully thinking right now about um, the Python code that's sitting behind us. So uh, really, I think iterating on, you know, VR for good. You know, this content. You know, allowing another tool for people to actually really express. Uh, experience the, the greater world. I think that's really my biggest thing right now. It does pain me somewhat that over the last few years that we couldn't get ahead of development as fast as we would have liked because we generally feel like we could have really done a lot for, uh, just to put it nicely, people's mental health. Um, you know, there was so much potential 
uh, to allow, I mean, coming from New Zealand where we had some of the strictest lockdowns ever, uh, I would not wish that upon my worst enemy, you know? Like, and if there's anything we can do um, exiting this pandemic and hopefully becoming endemic, endemic uh, is really just give people a bit of breath, you know, breath of fresh air, you know? Um, you know, we need to really start just putting out content for people's mental well-being and for the sake of just giving somewhere someone a nice place to go, you know? Yeah, so that's that's really something I really want to hammer, you know, just cut all the red tape and just allow people to experience for experience sake. Do you want to know anything we should have talked about today? Well, I want to double down on that. You know, there's, there's so many... And actually, interestingly, at HP, they just announced a 90-day of wellness because of the recognition that employees... And, you know, that it's just, it's been a hard few years. And so, you know, wanting to make sure that our teams and our people are all really taking care of our, our mental health, our financial well-being, our emotional well-being. Um, so that, that's something that's top of mind. And, 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 you know, as I mentioned with Brianna's garden project, you know, that that's what that project's about. You know, Brianna, Brianna was an, was an EMT. She wanted to be a nurse. And so the intention, all the intention of that project is around healing and continuing, you know, to continue to spread that word of healing. And so if anyone, if anyone listening would like to get involved with that project in some way, we're going to go to Louisville as our next stop as a wellness festival. We would love to have you or your, your companies involved. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, there's lots of different types of partnerships and sponsors and stuff that we're looking for. So we would love, we would love that. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I truly believe, you know, like I, I work out in VR, right? Like I do supernatural as my workout, right? And I do meditation in VR. I do trip, you know, so, you know, and I'm you know good friends with people at both of those companies. So certainly plugging my friends' companies, right? Um, but I, you know, I, I, I see, I see the positive, the positive, um, you know, that there's so many different ways that VR can be such a positive, a positive impact and positive, uh, you know, have a positive impact, um, result in your life uh, in terms of, you know, the, the ability to connect, to create, to collaborate, to learn, you know, with other people, whether it's social or whether it's just like giving you that moment of going into another world and, and just, you know, be, um, you know, and, and having, and having that beautiful experience. Um, and so, you know, I, in the beginning, you said you hadn't really talked about VR on this podcast yet. That it, you know, that you, or then sometimes you talked about it negatively. I heard, I heard this rumor about that. I had listened to some of the podcasts, um, but you know, just there's there's so much beauty and possibility in this tech as well as in many others. You know, and combined with you know gorgeous storytelling and imag imagination and creativity, it it can be used for good in so many ways. So just strongly encourage people to put your VR headset back on, jump back into some of these amazing, these amazing um, productions and content experiences. And, you know, I, I would add, if you had tried three years ago, try again, because it's so much the experience is very different and so much better. So, so Joanna, uh, the last question is, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to today? I want to give a shout out to you, Mark, for inviting us. Thank you for inviting me here. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Rafaela Camara, who's on your team. I think she, she's amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy that she's you know, doing so well over, over with you all at Unreal Engine. So thank you. I'll, 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 I'll you send more. her the message. So. <laughs> thank you. Simon, any, uh, the last, you know, anybody you want to give a shout out to today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Callahan Innovation here in New Zealand. It's kind of, um, 
the entrepreneurial kind of government department, uh, they really helped us with some friggin' rough times. Um, New Zealand Film Commission, uh, obviously you guys and NVIDIA. <laughs> you know, Rick Champagne, I'm going to steal his name one day. That guy's lovely. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, it's um, I just, yeah, there's probably too many to mention. Um, I'll give them a big hug when I see them in person. So that'll be it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, as I said, like once we once we streamline this, we'll be pushing content massively. And the oh, so, so this is the last note. I know you probably can't edit this one, but <laughs> just a side note: um, the more we can get, once we automate this process, the more we can actually get government entities and NGOs and uh, museology scene to actually open up their data sets without so much red tape. Because that has been our biggest issue. We've been stuck on this island for two years trying to ascertain just any data and it's been next to impossible because of um, bureaucracy. So I think the best thing for the industry going forward would be some kind of universal shared revenue model where people are far more giving of these historical sites. Because the thing, one thing that did amaze me over the last two years was that there was literally next to no you know, digital twin stuff coming out. And you would have thought that that would have been the time for it to happen. So that was a side note. I don't know how you're going to slice that. <laughs> <laughs> no. On that note. And yeah, on, on that, that note. note no, I, sorry. I think you have a point. I mean, we see on the Sketchfab platform a lot of cultural heritage. And I think. Yeah, well, Sketchfab is a fine example of doing yeah. it really, you know, doing it pretty well. There is no, no money, you know, there is no. Uh, there is no economic or no financial model around it, and I think I, I hear you. You know, for the, that content, you know, to, should be shared, and uh, the institution that take care of it should 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 get it. You know, should, should see some from financial value. So, hey, it was fantastic to have both of you uh, on the show again. Patrick was with us in spirit. Uh, thank you so much. I think he's gave a good overview. You know, of a number of topics, including VR, but not limited to VR. So. It was great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joanna. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. And thank you to our audience. You know, we get great guests like you, so it's easy. We got good feedback. And uh, to our listener, keep on telling us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear, and we'll, uh, we're right there for you. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you.